building a serious app usually takes like 10 months minimum. We built this thing just 10 and a half weeks. There, there was there was some real difficulties with some of the engineering. You're trying to drive bits of phones in ways they weren't intended to be driven. And at the same time, Apple were offering an alternative approach to that. So it was a really difficult decision to be made. Time went by and you could see that the, the Apple thing didn't perform as well as the original one on the Isle of Wight. And as that became visible over the next year, a few of us thought, you know what, actually that's quite an important thing because it's not just COVID. This is a technique that would work for any pathogen. So what you're actually talking about here is imagining a world that could be largely free of communicable disease. I'm Nick Haley, founder of Little Big Tech. After more than a decade in the army, I left and joined civilian life. In this podcast series, I'll be speaking to entrepreneurs who left military service and started the next exciting chapter in their lives. We'll hear how these inspiring individuals transitioned from active service to the world of business. How did they take the first step on the road to becoming an entrepreneur? We'll find out. Welcome to Little Big Vets, the Veteran Entrepreneurs Podcast. From serving 12 years in the Royal Navy Reserve as a lieutenant to a subsequent 19 years within the UK government as Deputy Director for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, my guest on today's podcast, Peter Waywell, is no stranger to serving his country. Today, we'll sit down with Peter and learn how the skills and experience he learned during his time, such as courage, leadership and attentiveness, have influenced him throughout his life and directly guided his career journey. From protecting our nation's interests to protecting against disease using a digital solution for infection prevention and control, we'll cover how Peter has since co-founded his own company, Proximus, where he holds the position of Chief Executive Officer. Peter, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here today, and I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear your story. So, can you tell me a little bit about your experience in the Royal Navy Reserve? Yeah, certainly. I joined sort of soon after I'd left university uh, and joined HMS President, which is the sort of the London unit. And at the time, the role of the reserves was focused on sort of niche professions, as it were, in, in the Royal Navy. So for me, that meant sort of mine warfare operations. And I had a very enjoyable, I think it was 12 years with Royal Naval Reserve, basically training and keeping ready for the role of a sort of mine warfare ops officer, should we ever have to mount a, a large scale mine warfare operation. Obviously, a reservist journey is a little bit little bit different to my own journey as a regular. So what, what else were you doing with, with your life at the time, being as that probably wasn't a full-time commitment. Sure. So, yeah, actually, when I started, I was actually living in Coventry as an engineer for Jaguar Cars, designing engines. But during my time there, I moved to London into the consulting industry, management consulting, which meant working with all sorts of companies on... on uh, t- typically, things were either going wrong and they wanted help to put things right, or things were going very well and they wanted help to know where to spend their money. Um, so those are the two sorts of uh, assignments that journey into the Royal Naval Reserves was was quite interesting back then because there, there there wasn't a sort of direct officer entry. So a- actually, I went through HMS Rally, which is the, the junior rates training place um, down in Plymouth, and um, spent two or three years actually 
um, what was then called the lower deck. I'm not quite sure if it's called that now, but <laughs> um, learning to splice and uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, sort of uh, able seaman, as it were, before okay. before before going and doing fleetboard and and becoming a sort of a, a operations officer. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah, that that's quite uh, an interesting uh, route when you're having to go through that um, non-direct officer entry route for yeah, to, to go to a role that's a, a typical. But it was great. It was great fun. I mean, there were there were folk in the unit who were sort of able seamen um, at their weekends and uh, barristers in the week. You know, it was, uh, it was quite fun. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. gonna that's gonna be quite a mix of people. Yeah. Were there any particular things within your time with the Navy Reserves that that really stood out as um, where you where you really learned something or or something that influenced your your life in particular? The the typical routine would be to go away for perhaps say a couple of weeks, but Part of the training I was supposed to do is really understand what it meant to drive a ship around as officer of the watch. So I had an opportunity to sort of go off with a ship and and spend several months as proper part of ship's company and got my officer of the watch ticket. Um, but, but during that time, I think it helped me see the power of teams in, in the services, but also the need for sort of self-discipline and self-reliance. And you know, even today, I sort of sort of credit that experience to some of the perspectives you you bring to say running your own company. Yeah, you know, they're they're really important. So uh, those those were great those were great experiences early, relatively early in my my career. Yeah, from what I've looked at, having started my own company, I, I really try to create the environment where people that work in my company build relationships like people in the services build relationships with each other because they're incredibly sticky powerful relationships that that last for a lifetime it's it, it's pretty hard to do but uh yeah. if you can if you can make that work then you're onto onto something really powerful so you were working for as a management consultant nine to five and then uh weekends and a few holidays you were off being a naval officer yeah yeah that's that, that's essentially it um the time was split perhaps between sort of two, two core activities. One, one would be um, actually t- time at sea um, and, and you'd be, um, you know, standing watches, but essentially, tr- you know, sort of tra- training um, on the bridge and and learning sort of mind warfare in, you know, I was going to say in the field, but I'm actually in the sea. Um, and then... Um, and then the other half of the time is 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 sort of more sort of bookish learning, as it were, off off on training courses and and um, and drill drill nights where you're 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 actually sort of just learning the academic side of it. So so it was it was a really nice mix of of stuff. And um, as any military unit, it had bits of adventurous training and other other things going on as well. So any cool bits of AT that you want to talk about? I think no. I think I, I I got as far as Crowborough, but I think some people got down to Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, so my my favourite one was I had a I had a week on a liverboard yacht in the Red Sea uh, doing scuba diving. Yeah, that's nice. That was what what I, what I did did manage because I was doing officer of the watch. Once I've got my ticket, okay. Um, so if you phone a ship up and go, might I come and join you for a couple of weeks? Oh, by the way, I've got officer of the watch ticket. What that means is everyone in the wardroom who's, who's currently standing watches gets more time in their rack, more time in bed. <laughs> so, cause, yeah, cause, so you were, it was a welcome call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and oft, often ships that were steaming to or from a deployment would be a bit short, 
short-handed because yeah. some people were flown out or flown, flying in. So, so, so I did pick up a ship once at Plymouth and, and go to the Caribbean that was heading to be West Indies guard ship. And again, joined a ship um, in Singapore coming back from the Hong Kong handover and steamed all the way back from, from there. Uh, oh, so, wow. so, 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 uh, yeah. I, I managed. It wasn't formally adventurous training, but I managed some pretty good, some pretty cool, trips. some pretty good trips. Yeah. And so, what made you want to leave the? Um, oh, that's uh, interesting. I, d- I didn't want to leave. Actually, I, I was. I really enjoyed it. In fact, it, it fundamentally influenced how how I thought about what I did next. I suppose. Um, I, mean, I think I got to a point in I was thirty years old where I noticed that I didn't much enjoy my day job. <laughs> I was good at it, but I didn't much enjoy it. Yeah. But I really enjoyed what I did with the with the Navy. And I think there's something about that higher purpose um, in the Navy. So I, I sort of looked around at what else I might do as, as my day job. Um, and that led me to sort of a, a career in the civil service. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I joined the Foreign Office, um, but I was sort of serving around uh, sort of national security <laughs> agenda stuff. And, and actually under the legislation, um, the, the foreign, has, foreign Office has the right not to release you um, on reserve surface. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. So although, although, although... So the government stopped you helping the well, government? <laughs> well, the, the, the government's very supportive, actually, and, and would support you being in the reserve forces. But sort of, I, I, I knew that there were actually only, I think, six of us trained to do the role that I would do. And okay. it didn't seem right to be sitting on one of those yeah. seats. So, so I, I I I left, but I've stayed very much in touch with the the unit and all my friends there, and we still see a lot of each other. And 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 um, that's and, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's nice actually to hear yeah. that you get the similar thing from yeah. the reserves as you do in the regulars. That you know you, you form that group of friends, and then you can't bloody get rid of them. I know, and it's a fabulous. <laughs> it's just fabulous. You're always helping each other out, and you know there's, there's, there's always someone in the network who knows something about your problem you've got. Yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic! So then, um, the the job in the foreign office did that did that bear much semblance to uh, to anything you'd done in in the military, or was that a completely new challenge? It's a new challenge, but I think some of those skills and things you pick up in the military are very applicable wherever you go. So, um, you know, sort of the the teamwork and self discipline and communication skills and all that sort of stuff is, is directly transferable. So. Uh, and it ultimately is also public service, so so a lot was quite familiar. You know? Yeah, um, they uh, they weren't quite the sort of drafting officer in terms of what job you did next, but it wasn't far from it. So yeah, you, you understood how things worked. When, when we first met and we were, we were having a beer, you, uh, <laughs> you you told me a story about uh, when the pandemic had kicked off. Oh yes, um, yeah. and having an idea. So yeah. if you wouldn't mind. Uh, retelling that story, that would be quite cool. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, this this is how I sort of came to leave leave the foreign office and end up being a med tech entrepreneur, um, which was not part of my plan. I, I was I was really enjoying what I did. It was fascinating. I kind of imagined I'd do it till I retire, um, but then um, pandemic came along, and essentially at the time the pandemic was brewing, sort of it was still a sort of really in China, maybe North Italy a little bit. Uh, I, I was in a, I was in a role, which, which meant I, I knew knew a bit about the legislation around tracking and stuff like that, and it led me to have sort of the idea that you might be able to track the virus down with phones. 
And I'm not the only person to have had this idea, but I suppose I was a senior civil servant at this point, so I was actually able to reach people who, who mattered and said, there may be something possible here. Um, we kicked that around for a small number of days and then um, realised actually that, that this was a credible way of potentially tracking down the virus and, and that became what we call digital contact tracing. Um, and uh, so I was seconded at very short notice over to the Department of Health, um, teamed up with a fabulous public health doctor um, and and then uh, found myself working uh, sort of to build the NHS COVID-19 app. Um, and that's what that's what I spent the first half of 20, uh, 2020, wasn't it? That's what I was doing yep. the first half of 2020. Uh, yeah. And and so in a, in a matter of days, gone from having an idea that you you mentioned to some of the right people to <laughs> being seconded to the Department of Health. Yeah, be careful what ideas you mention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Creating something. Uh, uh innovative brand new yeah so that that was but I, I in a way actually there was some military crossover here actually because you know it's sort of public health is not really like a military campaign but if you imagine with a pandemic bearing down on you um you, you know you've got to move really fast and mobilize really quickly and and sort of on the day that we decided that this was probably a good idea to try and build something like this there was nothing you know, there was no team, there was no nowhere to work, there was none. So, so, so that process of mobilising, um, you know, I, you know, I found myself leaning back on some of those, some of those military skills. And indeed, as we came to deploy the app, I found myself doing the same again. In fact, I actually went out and found some folk from the logistics corps to help us because we needed to run what was essentially an ops room. If you imagine, you know, we're launching yeah. a a novel technology on an unsuspecting population <laughs> in 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 very uncertain sets yeah. of circumstances so so you can we had this big old space in the NHS headquarters which was you know some some of it was apps some of it was call center some of it was press and media some of it was sort of policy some of it was logistics you know and you can imagine with almost little flags sticking up above each team so that everyone knew who who was doing what it was quite fun but that was all put together by my folk from uh, from the military who stepped in to help, and you were leading that. I was co. I was the I was the deputy. Um, it, this is civil service speak, but senior responsible owner. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so the the public health doctor was the the the, the senior responsible owner, and I was his his deputy. And we did it together. And so then, going through that process, uh, led you then. To, yeah, to to your entrepreneurial to, to moving moment. On. Yeah, so um, building a serious app usually takes like ten months minimum. Um, we we built this thing from that first meeting. Um, it's ten and a half weeks, um, and we put it. It went live on the Isle of Wight on May the fifth, twenty twenty, and and we were really pleased with what happened the the disease on the isle of wight covid um almost disappeared over the next three weeks um and that that was that was quite a result because the, the product was very much sort of still prototype um so so we we were really pleased with that um there there was there was some real difficulties with some of the engineering you're trying you you're trying to drive bits of phones in ways they weren't intended to be driven 
Um, and at the same time, uh, Apple were offering an alternative uh, approach to that. So it was a really difficult decision to be made. Um, and the decision was to go with the, the Apple stuff. Um, in, uh, you know, the time went by and you could see that the, the Apple thing didn't perform as well as the, the original one on the Isle of Wight. Um, and as that became visible over the next year, a few of us thought, you know what, actually that's quite an important thing. Because um, it's not just COVID, you know, this, this is a technique that would work for any pathogen. Um, so what you're actually talking about here is imagining a world that could be largely free of communicable disease, which is quite a big thing to say. That, yeah. Um, and we thought we might have accidentally tripped over something that could do that <laughs> in those crazy 10 and a half weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so maybe we should go back and, and, and have a proper go at that. So, so a group of us quit our safe jobs and decided to go, go and do that. That was quite a good conversation with my wife, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure she was over the moon. Um, so let, let, let's talk about the, the, the journey of that. Yeah. So, um, so it was a few other people that were involved in the, uh, the original project? Yes. Yeah, so there's, there's a few of us who, who wanted to take it forwards, and um, and we had quietly worked to to resolve some of the engineering challenges in in the intervening year. Um, so so we knew that some of the things that um, looked looked like challenging problems were, were now solved. Um, uh, so I, I was the one who decided to sort of um, I suppose start the mobilisation, um, put in my notice. Office was very supportive of that. Um, you could see that what I wanted to go and do, even if it was a bit of a surprise. And off I went and started it. And then, and then the f first job as a, a founder, I think, is probably to put a really good team around you, because it's you know, you know it's pretty challenging. <laughs> yeah. But if you if you've got a vision you really believe in and you've got a great team around you, um, actually it makes the journey a lot easier. So so I sort of set about finding people who could help me on that. Um, and and I'd, I'd left to start a technical, a, a tech startup, but without a tech person. <laughs> I mean, I'm an engineer, yeah. but I'm not a digital tech person. <laughs> yeah. So so that was the first order of the day was to go and find, go and find uh, someone who could be my co-founder. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I spoke to a lot of people, and I, I found I found someone who who shared the vision and and had the sort of the same, uh, well, had the technical capability to. To bring that to reality, so that was how the, the sort of the team started, and we grew from there. And then, uh, so you, you've just been through your first round of funding. Yeah, uh, it took us a while because we um, we took a time to work out which market to get into. So, and then and then you can't really raise funding unless you've got a clear plan. So so there's quite a bit of time you need to put aside to get a plan together. Yeah, and then once we got the plan, we sort of went looking for funding for it. Um, and so now we've, it's a modest funding round, but it will get us through the next year. Um, and you know, what we're doing with that money is basically taking our prototype, which we've built, um, turning it into a proper product, and then taking that to um, uh, Manchester in the Chess Trust and going to try it out in, in one of their departments there. And so uh, what, what, will that, what will that trial look like? You'll be trying to... Um, we all put the uh, so, so if I paint a picture for people, um, what, what we're essentially doing is putting a very accurate tracker on people in hospitals. So if you're a staff member, 
um, what we do is we put a little bit of extra electronics in the back of the pass carrier, yeah. you know, the thing you have around your neck. Yeah. And if you're a patient, you, you, you have that little plastic band that goes around your wrist. Yeah. And we've got a little tag that goes on, on that. And essentially what that means is, is we, we can keep track of all the opportunities that pathogens might have to jump between us in all the ways they do that <laughs> yeah. all of the time for everybody. We don't look at that. We just file it. But then when you do have someone who falls ill, um, you can put their name in the, 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 the web app, if you like, put it in the name in the top of the screen. <laughs> and, and then the system instantly goes and looks at who else might have picked it up. Um, and, throws out a list. And throws out a list, which is... Tell these people not to... Yeah. Not to go near anyone. I mean, else. It's, it's what hospitals try and do anyway. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, but they do it manually, and, and you can see the problem with that. You know, you yeah. hugely busy people. You're trying to remember where you were two days ago and who you saw. Um, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just a bit of a difficult thing. So, so yeah, so that's you know, that's what it will look like is this a department with people actually carrying the kit and trying it out. And so then, that, that is, is that like the the first phase of it that it will become a uh, within hospitals yeah i mean i mean the the idea is if it if if it works as we expect it will work you'd you'd want it across the whole hospital yeah we we could we could dive into some of the interesting science and tech but one of the things is we don't actually know that much about how pathogens spread um and and the reason is it's very hard to measure in the wild you know without a technology like the thing we've built which is the first yeah. you can't measure it in the wild and, and measuring it in controlled circumstances is really difficult because the definition of a pathogen is it's harmful to humans. So you can imagine the conversation, you know, Nick, I'd yeah. like to infect you with multi-drug resistant <laughs> tuberculosis and see how long it takes for you to become contagious. Yeah, I, I'm Sign probably going to pass yeah. on that, on that <laughs> yeah, request. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so oddly enough, you don't see many... <laughs> You don't see many, many experiments. There was one on COVID actually, but it took two years. It took two years to plan it. And that's so in the face of a major world health emergency. It's a, it's a touch took, on the slow side. Yeah, yeah. it's a touch, touch slow. Um, but, but the tech we're building would, would measure that pretty instantly. And so then would you take the data that you gather and uh, allow people to conduct studies on that sort of anonymized data? Yeah, yeah, you, 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 um, you, yeah, you, you can um, pseudo anonymize or fully anonymize it, um, and and you can conduct. All, I mean, it will open up a huge number of research avenues that are unavailable at the moment. Um, plus, solve. I mean, this is a big problem in the NHS. Um, Twenty percent of beds in the NHS are occupied by people who should have gone home, but have caught a hospital-acquired infection. Wow. Yeah. That's a- I'm not saying 20% of people catch it, but if you do catch one of these, you tend to overstay by quite a long time. <laughs> wow. Um, that, that's quite a yeah. high number. That's a yeah. much higher number than yeah. I would have ever assumed. So, so in terms of the, you know, when it's very topical with waiting lists and all the rest of it. If yeah. we can make a dent in this problem, we can, we can really do something important there. Yeah. So then the investment in the technology then pays back many times if every NHS trust is then reducing the amount of time that inpatients yeah. stay. Yeah, and, and and you imagine you you know a hospital also has the direct costs. If if someone if someone falls ill, you then got to treat them. So you, yeah. you're putting expensive drugs and drips and PPE and all, all that stuff is being spent. You know, not to replace the hip, but now to to try and cure them of the, the bug. So if we stop that happening, the hospital saves money instantly. 
So it's yeah. not it's not one of these you invest now and you get it back over the next five yeah, years. Yeah. It's you, you you put it in and you start. It, it gets get, the bottom line straight away. It goes straight to the bottom line. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll tell you if it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's incredible if it works. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, that's right. I mean, well, it's it's one of the things I don't know. You're you're a technical guy in in, in life. You know, the science and the engineering can all stack up, but until you actually try it in the real world, yeah, you know, there's always there's always something you haven't thought of. So so it would be brilliant to try it. Until, until when does that start? Well, we hope in April. Yeah, there's quite a lot of paperwork to do before you can <laughs> muck around in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, I mean, quite reasonably, really. <laughs> and so then, how how long will you be running that for? Oh uh, well, we'll one one again because there's relatively little knowledge in this area one one of the challenges is we don't know how long we'll need to run it for to see enough disease to work out whether it works so the plan is we we, we think it will take a couple of months um but we're giving ourselves another another two or three months to can run on if we don't see enough pathogen action in the first couple of months yeah yeah, yeah. so that sort of time scale yeah wow yeah that's really interesting. Yeah. So then the the journey of Proxima. So you're gonna are you gonna share that publicly anywhere as you go along? Uh, I think yeah, I think we will. I think we um, you know we got our heads down at the moment um, building the product, working with some really diamond folk in the NHS to to try it out. But but you know once once we once we've tried it and got confidence, then yeah, of course we'll we want to we want to tell people about it. Um, but it's been quite an interesting journey, actually, going from from institutionalised foreign office deputy director <laughs> to sort of standalone entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if, if I could, I could talk a bit about the surprises. In, I, I'm just thinking your, your your listeners are probably you know coming out of the military, going to something else. That's a you know that that for me that's the the pivot point in my life was going from this big institution yeah. to this kind of I mean, you, just standing you alone. Definitely and, stepped out of your comfort zone. Yeah, there. it was. Uh, I hadn't, I didn't realise it quite so much at the, as I took the step, but but I I worked out quite quickly that I need I needed to sort of learn if well I needed to learn some new skills. There was a lot of skills that should continue to be applicable, but um, you know it was just it was just very striking. Uh, for example. Um, when, when you're in a big organisation, quite a lot of your time is actually organised for you. Yeah, you know, you know, it's like right, you know, someone else has set this program and you've got a part to do in it, and so you need to turn up and do your bit, sort of thing. When, when you when you sort of step out and try and run your own company, all the time is for you to work yeah. out what to do with it. Um, so I sort of, I kind of had to work out how to organise my own sort of work pattern. Um, and and learn some stuff about myself as I did that. Like I'm really good in the mornings, and I'm really rubbish about four o'clock. Um, so, <laughs> so yes, <laughs> yeah, I'll, have a, I'll have another swig of tea. Yeah. So um, you, you know, so so I now in my diary, I try and do my sort of what I call my focus work. Yeah. You know, if I've got a, something I want to spend an hour thinking hard about, I'll try and I'll put it in my diary, an appointment with myself. Yeah. 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 You I, know, if I've got if I've got nasty admin and forms to fill in i'll 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 do that in in the, the the time when i'm i'm not not at my best yeah so i i um i do something is i block 
chunks of time out in my calendar yeah. for specific activities. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, it was it was a weird one when I, I started my own company because I, I thought, well, actually, you know, it, it's new. There'll be no customers once we've sort of set the initial systems up. I'd actually have have quite a lot of time, and um, then the more I learned, the more I realised I didn't know and that I had to go and learn. And then all of a sudden, I, I had no time because I discovered there were lots and lots and lots of things that I didn't know uh, that all of a sudden I, I'd, I'd got to go and find out about. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that there should there were things that I should be doing that I didn't know I should be doing because I hadn't learned the things yet. I, I know what the yeah what you can't do stuff you don't know about. Um, I, I think that was one of the other things I, I, I found I learned quite quickly was when you're in the big organization and you need to work something out, there's usually someone in the organization who knows something about it. You can go and talk to them about it. Yeah. Um, whereas on your, when you're on your own, you have to build that network yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, we met at one of those. those yes. Events, you know, sort of going, going to places and meeting nice people um, and you've got no idea, but... You know, in eight months' time, you run snap bang into some problem, and you think, "Oh, hang on, I met someone who knew something about that." And 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 having, you know, you got to build out that network to help you solve problems, basically. And um, yeah, and, and 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 that was a good early investment as I started this journey, realizing that there was a load of stuff I didn't know anything about. I needed to. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it, it's it's interesting having your eyes opened. When you you didn't think they were particularly close, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I never realised there was so much to yeah. something that on paper sounds as simple as sales and marketing. Yeah. That yeah, there, there was a, a lot for me to learn there. That that was the the big gap for me. Yeah, I think I I, I, I just just strongly second that, Nick. I think I've noticed something else as well, which is. Um, in my old world, if, if there was something I didn't quite know, you sort of knew that there was a team around you and someone else probably did it. And, and whereas now, if you notice the moment when you kind of think, I mean, it could be something, there was one this morning, uh, an insurance policy, and there was a word in it, a long complicated word, and I can't even remember what it was now, but I don't know what it means. And, and you just notice these things and, and you stop yourself at that point and go and look it up. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. you just can't afford to have that sort of stuff. Um, and it matters and then, more when it's yeah. your organisation. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, working for someone else, yeah. you might have been, yeah. it's probably yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. And, but then there's also, there's a delightful experience as well, which is, so, yeah, we have to mount a, a clinical trial. Um, and actually, um, it's not a clinical trial because a trial is medicine. Yeah. Um, if you've got a medical device, it's called a clinical investigation. So, so the fact I've been walking around for six months saying we're going to do a clinical trial show <laughs> <laughs> is a perfect example of you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So, so um, we again in this effort to avoid falling off cliffs, um, we've assembled a, a, a very very cool group of people we call our advisory committee. Yeah. And their their job is to sort of tell us the cliff is ahead of us <laughs> and so, so they listen to our plan and they say oh if you're done planning that you might want to think about this yeah so so we saw them three months ago and um and they said oh yeah you you, you really don't need you really don't know enough enough about uh clinical investigations <laughs> 
you need, yeah, and you need to you need to get up that curve. So I've been hunting for someone who really knows their stuff, and and it's been sort of a journey. Uh, but I, you know, there's this beautiful moment when you find someone who really really knows it and can help you um even if even if they need to charge you for it but so so i feel over the last week or two i've had sort of what i think of as this sort of like matrix moment you know that bit where they upload <laughs> so, so i've just been spending a, like a day and a half with this person just the suck whole, it, sucking in the knowledge <laughs> yeah it's an interesting process when you've uh you found something that you need to know about that you don't know about yeah. and you, you need to find a person you can't that knows even about find it. the person yeah. Um, because yeah then finding the person and then actually trying to validate well, well, do they really know it yeah. or are, are, are they just telling me a story yeah. um, and that's uh, that, that's a daunting process and um, I, I don't, I'm not sure how you went but when when I've done it I've I've often gone on gut uh, oh, right. like, do <laughs> Does this person like seem genuine and uh, do it? Do I feel comfortable with yeah. them uh, or do I need to do further yeah. research? And um, it, it's worked both ways. Uh, so I, I've worked, I, I spoke to someone who seemed very genuine and trustworthy um, and they yeah. were nowhere near the level that they claimed, yeah. which was uncomfortable. But then I've had the, the same experience. The, I've had the opposite experience where, I've I've gone and found someone to help, and they've seemed lovely, and um, they, they've been brilliant. Which then leaves me with the fact that, well, my my, my, my methodology seems a bit like that of a toy class. <laughs> yeah, got a bit of variability in outcome now. I yeah, I, I I know what you mean. I I, I think it's sort of yeah, you, you, your gut takes you a long way, I, I, I think, and and you've got to learn to listen to that emotion. If there's something bothering you, there's probably a problem somewhere, yeah. and you got you know you might not know what the problem is, but you need to you need to go digging. Um, I, I, I guess I, I have a more slightly more trust and verify sort of view of the world. With, with your background, <laughs> kind of to be expected. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to go and take second opinions and take cross bearings on on things. Um, I, I guess yeah. you're talking about things that are yeah. a, a slightly more, a slightly higher impact, rather than you know me, me talking about a, a particular subsection of marketing or SEO. Well, <laughs> well, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I, I think. I mean, I mean, part of the issue is you know there there are, there are, there are things out there that can kill a startup. Um, running out of money. Yeah, well, well yeah, running out of money. You know, a actually, kind of mucking mucking a trial up so you can't actually get any evidence out of it. You know, sort of things like that. So, so I think those are probably different for all sorts of startups. You know, if 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 you're marketing direct to people, marketing is really important. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. For for us, for us, it's we're not at that stage yet. Um, so. So I think try, trying to work out what what are the killer issues and making you know, try and find cross bearings on yeah. those. Yeah, <laughs> but then it's the, the the difficult balance between momentum and <laughs> uh, and overanalyzing something. And um, I, I I try to go down the um, make the decision quickly, yeah. um, have some sort of expected outcome that you can measure it against, yeah. and if it's not moving quickly towards that outcome. Then stop. Yeah, go and I look think, again. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very sensible to um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm quite a believer in trying to make yeah. quicker decisions yeah. uh, 
including the decision to say yeah. that last decision was wrong. Yeah. Let's. Well, I think that's another. Again. That's another. That's another thing that the military training teaches really well is you know it, it, inaction is usually the, not a good course of action. <laughs> yeah. So do do something, but be willing to reassess. <laughs> yeah. So what's the average day like at the moment? With uh... it, it can vary hugely. So um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pick out some different days if you like. Um, so there was, uh, you know, there, there's there's sort of great days when you kind of meet a new ally. I think you know because you, you're going along, you've got a vision, you're trying to get there, and you need all sorts of help. And you're speaking to a lot of people, and it could be investors, or it could be potential partners for research, or it could be someone, you know, a gap in your team. And and, and a great day is when you find someone, and and there's that sort of um, that that sort of click. You know, they they get what you're trying to achieve, and they like it. You know, they're they're in a place in life where it fits with 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 what they what they're trying to achieve, and and you can see how they fit in. So. So you kind of get sort of re- really good days where you kind of find that that sort of you know a new ally is fantastic. Um, then you find yourself just doing things you never thought you'd be doing. Um, so there, there is a there is a there is an organisation called the Infection Prevention Society. Of course, there is. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a fantastic organisation. It's everyone sort of across the NHS who, who's involved in that, mostly members. So thinking. Either specialist infection prevention control nurses or general nurses who have a specialism in infection prevention control. Um, quite a lot of companies who make um, detergents or wipes or paper towels or, or whatever, or cleaning robots. Um, so there's this there's this great society and um, they're very active, but they have their annual conference. And um, this last year's was in Bournemouth. <laughs> And they hadn't had one for three years because of COVID. And of course, these these are the people who were on the utter front line of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And they haven't seen each other for a long time. And and we went to Bournemouth and then there was the gala night dinner. So it was just fantastic to sort of just see this community letting their hair down properly <laughs> after the awful three years behind us. Um uh, but it was amazing, yeah, just just sort of being in this totally different environment and um Hearing all the, the the presentations were were all sort of complicated science stuff, um, but meet, meeting meeting the people in that community was 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 very different. Um, I mean, investor pitches—that's a funny thing. You, you've done a few, yeah. yeah. Um, that's uh, yeah. incredibly uncomfortable. The first time <laughs> you you go and effectively say to someone, "I've had an idea. Would you like to give me some money to bring it to life?" I know, and you do. You end up doing quite a few. Um, so, uh, so there, there's sort of there's interesting sort of set piece type, almost performance art kind of bit of the bit yeah. of the role, um, and then and then you have other days which you you know basically it's you and the cat at home, um, you know, fighting for the warm spot by the fire, um, <laughs> and and sort of just just doing admin or thinky thinky tasks and, uh, yeah. and pushing all the so so. I think one of the joys of it actually is it's really varied. So if you were to give a piece of advice to someone who was coming to the end of a military career yeah. um, and yeah. looking to take their next step from that very structured yeah. to 
well to whatever whatever they choose to do what what would that be i think there's a couple of things what one would be not to rush things actually um i think there's a process you'd need to go on um where as you come out of a sort of one existence and into another um you need, you kind of need need to you know work work out what you're really good at and what you really enjoy who you know how you're going to present yourself to the world go go and look at the different opportunities that may be out there you know, re- reflect on that. And, and I, I do see, you know, I see colleagues coming out of the foreign office and that sort of environment, you know, who, who are sort of a really desperate to get a, you know, sort of, there's a lack of security, I suppose, you know, sort of, I want to get a job, you know, and, and I think trust that you will, you've got a really good set of skills, you know, but, you know, take the time to make sure you get it right. I suppose would be one one bit of advice. You know, make sure you, you you've you've allowed yourself a bit of decompression time, thinking time, yeah. and then hunting time. <laughs> um, and just recognise as well. Just t- talk to a few people ahead of you and recognise that you really do have seriously marketable skills, and that you are going to get a really interesting job at some point. And 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 just you know have, have you know, t- take that as a bit of an article of faith. You know, go and check with some friends who are ahead of you. But that that is. That is, that is genuinely true, and 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 try not to let the anxiety of it all get get too much to you. If anyone who's listened to or watched this uh, today wants to find out more or uh, follow the the progress of Proximos, how can they do that? Crikey! Uh, well, we have a website, so you, you could hop on there, and um, there's a little newsletter sign up, um, uh, which which there's quite a few people on now. Um, and then, and then you'll get a little update email from me occasionally, <laughs> saying saying how we're doing. Um, and and if if the trial goes well, ho- hopefully you'll you'll see us later this year, um, making a bit of noise about it. Fantastic! Yeah. It's, uh, it it sounds really cool. And oh, uh, thank thank you very much for your time today. It's yeah, been it's, really well, good. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, thank you, thanks for the opportunity. It's great. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. I'm sure you'll agree the stories from the guests on the show are incredible. Starting your own company is a brave and difficult thing to do. There's a theme of resilience running through all these stories, which is key to success as an entrepreneur. If you're a veteran with a good story to tell, we'd love to have you on. If you're leaving the military and you want to get in touch, email podcast at littlebigtech.co.uk. If you run a business and you're looking for an IT company that's entrepreneurial and forward thinking, please do get in touch. I hope you enjoy the rest of the series.